Welcome to another episode of Chan with the Plan, the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan. And in this episode, we will be talking about something that I definitely can relate to. It's how to succeed in the world of work as a recent immigrant or first-generation professional. For me personally, my parents came to Canada from Hong Kong when I was a young age. And the highest education that they both received was high school or equivalent to a high school diploma. And I became the first individual to get my degree from a university and also the first to enter the corporate workforce. And I was always taught that hard work is what matters and what pays off in the long term. What I didn't know and as I knew when I got older is that hard work is only one part of the equation in the game of business and to help others that were in a similar situation as me many years ago, I have brought in a guest that specializes in helping immigrants and first-generation professionals rapidly accelerate their careers without sacrificing their lives. His name is Edward Gorbis, and he's a personal development coach, career strategist, and the author of the book, Unbreakable Mindset. Edward is the CEO of Career Meets World, an online coaching platform, and a startup advisor helping stars develop their growth strategies. Prior to this, Edward was a civil engineer turned senior sales director at WeWork and has led various teams to generate more than $50 million in revenue over the last 10 years. Now let's get into my discussion with Edward on how you can succeed in the world of work as a recent immigrant or first generation professional. Hey Edward, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Max. Fantastic. And the reason why I wanted to bring you on the show today is as someone that's a first-generation immigrant, so I've moved here when I was three to, uh, three to four years old with my family. And now in my 30s, I've been able to build my career up through my experience in marketing, uh, landing a role in a huge corporate company. And I know that you specialize in helping immigrants and first-generation individuals to also be able to propel their career wherever direction that they want. Can you tell me more about this with our audience? Yeah, absolutely. Again, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. And similar to your story, Max, I too moved to the States. In fact, when I was about four years old from the Ukraine. And for me, obviously, at that time, when you're so young, you don't really know what you don't know. And you're just kind of absorbing life as it is. And The truth is, when I reflect back on kind of like the immigration process growing up in an immigrant family, it very much shapes who you are, shapes your identity, shapes how you think and react and operate in the world. And I think a lot of people who fall into this demographic can empathize with the fact that our parents, if whether you're an immigrant or first gen, second gen, if you have immigrant type parents, they typically have some level of work ethic that they want to teach you, the discipline, right? And they also want you to be successful, but they don't exactly know how to navigate in either the US or Canada. They don't know how exactly to network the right way or negotiate the right way or which colleges to go to, which colleges not to go to. So they don't necessarily know how to give you that guidance. And that was a lot of my journey. And I didn't know much. I had to figure everything out on my own. And truly, It was a lot of kind of like having sharp elbows and just maneuvering through the workplace and figuring things out. I 
initially started my career, again, as many immigrant parents will teach you as you go from either engineering, a doctor, a lawyer. And I basically chose engineering. I started my career in civil engineering and transitioned a lot and basically realized engineering is not for me. And I loved working with people. I loved talking to people. And I ultimately, my last corporate job was really in sales leadership at WeWork, which at the time was the fastest growing startup on the planet. And I learned a lot. It was a great experience. But again, I still never felt satisfied. And the truth is I fundamentally love, love helping people, right? It's just at the core of who I am. I've always enjoyed mentoring, coaching, facilitating. So I started my coaching practice last year with the sole purpose of just serving immigrants and first gen and giving them all the shortcuts, all the opportunities to really thrive, whether it be in their career or just fundamentally in life, right? Because again, we come from a different background. It doesn't matter if you come from China, Ukraine, Nigeria, Brazil, there's just a different level of thinking. And culturally, there's a lot of differences, but the underlying thinking, the craving to be successful is very much the same. So for me, it's about really focusing on how to shape people's mindset so that they can achieve as much as they want in the workplace and be successful. So that's really what I'm about. Happy to take the conversation in whatever direction you want. Great, Edward. And what were some of the workplace culture changes that you were not prepared for when you entered the workforce in the US? Yeah, really good question. For me, it was just understanding what the culture was even like, what to expect, right? I think you and I talked about this briefly beforehand is that American workplace culture is one thing. American workplace culture kind of all over the States is different. Obviously, like I think Silicon Valley, New York have a very specific stereotype, but other parts of the country are different as well. And, And same goes for Canada, right? There's just different work cultures and As an immigrant, you step in, and the analogy I typically use with people because this is how I truthfully felt is imagine you're stepping into a friend's house party or you're going over to somebody's house for dinner and you just have never been there and you don't know where the kitchen is, you don't know where the bathroom is, you don't know where to grab utensils to grab a glass of water. And the truth is, that's how a lot of immigrants feel when they step into the workplace, whenever they either immigrate to the US or Canada. And again, that's how I felt, right? I just didn't know who to go to. I didn't know who to ask questions. I didn't know how to actually put yourself in a position to truly play the business game, because that's really all it is to be successful in any workplace environment is playing the game a little bit. It might sound sleazy to some people, but Again, it's really about fostering the right types of relationships and being able to communicate. Those are things I didn't know. So I had to figure all that out on my own. And again, that's a big part of what I help people with. Do you find that immigrants and first-generation individuals with parents that teach them about work ethic, but not so much about the values of good communication soft skills, do you think that they're more introverted compared to American-born professionals? That's a good question, one that I've never been asked before. But the truth is, I think kind of the introvert-extrovert conversation doesn't necessarily have to do with the immigrant side. It could be a little bit cultural. I do think like personalities vary depending on different ethnicities. But for me, like the truth is when I was growing up, I was very much introverted. I just hadn't like really come out of my shell, 
right? I was kind of like this caterpillar that was going to become a butterfly one day, but I was timid. I was shy. I didn't have a voice. I didn't know how to speak. I didn't know how to communicate well. People didn't really receive me well. I wasn't receptive in any way because I didn't know how to articulate myself. So I would say initially, maybe I was introverted. Now I definitely love talking to people and I certainly love communicating and empowering people to do the same. So I think it's not necessarily because we're immigrants, it's who we are as individuals, and it just takes some time to grow into who you truly are. So to add to that, I, I've seen your content on LinkedIn with your uh, funny videos. So you went from, like you said, this timid individual to like dancing for the world to see on your LinkedIn stories. So how long did it take you to get to that level and how much intentional practice you had to do that to really get out of your shell? Yeah, uh, I wouldn't recommend anyone follow me for my dancing skills, but more so for the content, as you said. And I think it boils down to just vulnerability and authenticity. I'll be very candid that for me, for a very long time, and I'm in my early 30s, I basically was kind of lying to myself. I really didn't live authentically. I kept saying and repeating things to other people in the workplace. And again, like I said, kind of playing that game a little bit too much and too well that I wasn't living authentically, which is why essentially I quit my job in the middle of the pandemic and decided to finally pursue what I wanted, which gave me the courage to go and convey my message in different formats and gave me the power to go and speak and create videos and content that will actually teach people that it's not so much about having the confidence or the courage to create silly content that inspires people or teaches people. It's more so just giving yourself permission to figure out who you are and what you care about and what you value. Because oftentimes when we get into the corporate world, and again, I think the corporate world is very much a good place for a lot of people. A lot of people have incredibly successful careers and it's just a little bit of luck of which companies you land out, what roles you have, what managers you have, right? So I think there's a recipe for everyone. There's just always this resistance for me where I knew I wasn't living authentically within the workplace. And it took about 10 years to process that and really just say, okay, I've had enough. I've hit a wall. It's time to really assess who I am. And my hope and my goal and everything I do with clients is really about having that conversation and pushing people, right? My responsibility as a coach is to get people to think, get people to process who they truly are and ask themselves, like, do I want to actually grow in the corporate workplace? And if so, great, let's figure out an actual like personalized GPS system for you and what that looks like. Outside of that, if the answer is no, then what is your vision? Whether it's your destiny, your spiritual vision, your goals, ambition, whatever you want to call it, what does that look like? So for me, it took me a solid 10 years to process what that looks like. And now I just put out what I want. I live my life authentically. And I honestly don't care if it upsets people because the rule that I live by in my life is if you're not hurting anyone, right? In any way, put out whatever content you want, right? If you want to put out silly content. And again, once you reach this level of confidence or understanding of who you are, then who cares what people think? We're not living for anyone else. You're either living for yourself or you're living for somebody else. And I choose to live for myself. All right. So let's go a bit deeper into your story. So 
hypothetically, as like an immigrant uh, family, it's very hard to say, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, I don't want to live this corporate life. I want to quit and do my own business. So, for example, let's say you're a successful engineer and your parents are very proud of you, but you, you're just not very happy. So how do you break it to your your uh, your family? Like, It is a very tough discussion that a lot of people have trouble with, especially from coming from immigrant parents. Yeah, it definitely is a difficult discussion for a lot of people. What I would say is, look, if you're looking to have this discussion, and I think you and I both can agree that every culture, every ethnicity is going to have a very different reception to this. I'm not saying all immigrants are the same. That's not true. So I think what a Russian parent or a Chinese parent or a Mexican parent all would say different things. What I would say is the way to navigate the conversation really is about having a plan and having a clear understanding of like, what do you want? Why do you want it? Being able to confidently speak about it and then helping, if you need to, help your parents understand what's the goal, right? Like, what are you trying to achieve and why and what's the potential career? Because we have to, whenever we're talking to parents or it might be somebody in the workplace, we really have to appeal to the other person's mind, right? Speak to the other person's brain, and that way you're going to be able to get what you want or essentially, again, that sounds manipulative and it's not intended to be, but it's to be able to truly convey to the other human being what you're trying to say. So if you're trying to switch out of engineering like I did into other roles, right, that were maybe atypical or unorthodox to the classic immigrant parent, it's really about saying, okay, here's what I want to do. Here's why I want to do it. Here's the potential income. Because most parents, most immigrant parents bring their kids to another country. I don't care if it's the US, Canada, somewhere else in Europe, but they bring them there because they want to afford them a better life. They really at the core of it want them to survive. And for them, it's about stability because most people leave their country because it's unstable. So if that's the goal and that's the understanding, that's how they're thinking, then appease that part of their brain, right? Why is this new role for you going to be stable? Maybe it's more income, right? For me, I made more in sales leadership than I ever did in engineering. So it's just painting the picture and making sure you're speaking to their brain in a way that they're really going to understand you. That's some great advice, Edward. And let's say you have that talk, uh, your, your mom and dad are okay with you pursuing whatever you want to pursue, but let's take a step back. You've been in your engineering job, accounting job, your stable job that your family wants you to have. You've been there for a few years. You moved up a little bit, but you truly don't feel self-fulfilled, but you don't know how to get out and you don't want to lose that paycheck because it is a, a good paycheck for these some of these professions. So what would you give in terms of advice for career clarity and a plan on how to transition out of those roles smoothly without having to take too far of a step back. Yeah. At some point, you have to be honest with yourself and realize that it's not going to be this perfect linear transition. There's going to be some bumps along the road, right? So understanding what to expect, understanding that it's going to take some time is okay. Understanding that maybe you'll take a little bit of a pay haircut. It's possible. But at the end of the day, it's really about being aligned with whatever you want to transition into, right? So if you're not happy with accounting right now and you want to switch to some other type of finance role, or you want to completely get out of counting numbers altogether and you want to do just bare bone marketing, or you want to go into sales, whatever that is, understand that you can make the transition. 
It's just not always going to be linear. Maybe I get an MBA. Maybe I have to go hard network with a lot of people and convince them that I'm more than capable of taking this role. Maybe you're going to take a step back in salary. There's going to be different pathways, but as long as you're committed, you will figure it out. You mentioned about networking and networking is a huge tool in someone's arsenal for job search. What types of advice can you give an immigrant that has never really networked? They've done this traditional apply online or they've gotten good grades and they were able to network well with the recruiter at an event. But in terms of networking, the transition to another type of role altogether, what are some advice tips that you can provide for these people? Yeah, absolutely. So oftentimes when I talk to somebody and they ask more or less the same question or they call themselves a bad networker or they say they can't build relationships, it's because one, there's a mental hurdle, but if we're talking about kind of surface level advice that is actionable, I believe that a lot of people look at relationships and networking as transactional. So for example, I need a job. So I'm going to go talk to a person at X company and I'm going to try to figure out exactly how to connect with them so that I can just get a job. The reverse of that is building relationships that are there for the long term, that are really there for you to have more meaningful and deep connections. And now somebody might ask, well, how do I build deep connections with every single person I network with? And the truth is you simply leave the door open. Too many people end the conversation with, hey, okay, like here are next steps or here's what I'm going to give you or what I need from you. Sometimes it's just leave the door open and know that you might have a conversation today that might lead to a result five years from now. And you might talk to that person periodically. Maybe you engage with their content online. But the truth is, it's just about planting seeds all over the place with people that you meet and just be genuine and be authentic and be yourself. And not everyone's going to resonate with your message. That's okay. That's not the goal. The goal is just be honest and open and open the doors continuously. That way, if people have an idea or an opportunity for you, they'll come to you, right? So often we know or hear about stories where I landed a job because I knew this person at this company and they just pulled me in or an old manager really liked me and they pulled me up. So the truth is if you're looking at networking as this pure long-term relationship play, it's just all about how you look at it. So when you frame it in that way, rather than trying to get something out of the person, you're going to have a much better relationship and a much better time with networking, and you're just going to enjoy the process. And that's really a key distinction that I made early on in my career is that why would I spend five minutes, 30 minutes talking to somebody and then never speak to them again? It made no sense to me. So now I just look at it as, okay, I'm going to have a conversation with you, Max, and then you and I hopefully will continue talking in the future. And then one day we might collaborate on something, right? It's not that I'm hoping that will happen. I'm just leaving the door open. So that's my recommendation to anybody, but especially immigrants who often might be timid or scared of looking at people that way. Just look at it as a potential friend. Look at it as somebody you're going to build a relationship with and then keep the door open. I think that's the big problem with networking is that they think that it's taking something all the time. So they feel uncomfortable asking for something from someone that they don't know. 
because it's not really traditional, right? And I think what you said is, is a great point. Don't really focus on transactional because it'll, it'll make you uncomfortable or make them feel uncomfortable. It's about building the relationship and getting to know them and just being authentic and being yourself and really be interested in their story. Exactly. I think oftentimes, as you just said, what the problem is, and I always tell people the problem isn't the problem. The problem is the meaning that you're giving the problem. So when people look at networking as this really challenging, intimidating thing, well, if you reframe it and look at it as this powerful opportunity for you to connect with another human being, then it's no longer a problem. And it's actually a lot more fun. And you get to meet so many people and learn from them. And to me, I love networking. I do it every single day. I'll connect with new people all the time. And sometimes I'll never talk to them again. That's okay. But in that brief moment, I learn something from them. And hopefully I can share something with them as well and they can walk away learning as well. So once you develop that relationship with networking, you're going to have a lot more fun. Absolutely. And as the saying goes, you're not going to work with everybody. It's just finding the few ones that do that propel your career forward. Exactly. Let's take a different position now. Let's say you are happy with where you are. You've been in your role for a few years now. Your first role coming from a new country, going to a new country in the US, you've been working there for two, three years is a great organization. Now the issue is, how do you get promoted? You said you, you have to play the game. Our parents instill that we have to have a strong work ethic, but that only goes so far. You still have to play the game in terms of like communication skills and like interacting the right way. So what are some things that these immigrants should be aware of in terms of how to get to the next level in their career? My favorite question and my favorite thing to talk about because a lot of immigrants come into the workplace and they think that just showing up and doing the work is what's going to propel them to that next level. And that's really not the truth. And that's kind of the distinction between American culture, maybe Canadian, I'm not 100% familiar, but with American multinational companies, this is very much a business game, meaning you have to build relationships internally, right? People have to know who you are. It's not just about completing the work and hoping that your manager notices you and talks about you all the time. Hopefully that's the case. I think really strong managers are aware, but it's also a little bit of self-promotion. And it's a little bit of promoting other people, right? There's like this delicate dance of how to do all of it and making sure that your ultimate goal is to have other people speak highly about you when you're not there. So if we work backwards from that goal, it's about figuring out, okay, if I want other people to speak highly about me, when I interact with them, I have to one, make them feel good. I have to create value with them, right? And then I'd say the last part really is about you're not seeding anything. You're not telling them to talk about you, but it's more about building that long-term relationship with them, right? I think we always have to be kind of considerate of what people's motives are internally within a company, but at least when you approach it from an ethical, thoughtful, compassionate way and you build strong relationships with people, people will naturally talk about you behind closed doors and share what you've accomplished together. Most of the time, people are going to talk about, hey, this person created this incredible feature or product or spreadsheet, whatever it might be. 
It's more going to be around, hey, we accomplished this together. They did a great job. So that's part of it. The other part is making sure that you're speaking highly about other people, right? Is always putting other people up because I believe when we do that in the workplace and we make that distinction, you're going to be really kind of the superhero at work. So that's kind of the big distinction. And it takes some time to learn what that looks like, how to do it effectively. Because again, I think a lot of immigrants come into the workplace thinking, okay, I'm just going to do my work really well and it's going to shine by itself. But we have to wrap it around in our speech and our thoughts in being present in conversations because that's how people build trust in the workplace. And when you do that, you afford yourself more opportunities, more promotions, higher pay. And that's really how the game of business is played. They are able to play the game and they get promoted, and but now they have a team to manage. And this is a lot different than just doing your own work. What are some strategies that you can provide in terms of how to be an effective manager for a team? Loaded question. I, I think first I'll caveat that with, with distinguishing what we all witnessed during the pandemic, which is there are leaders that someone categorize as peacetime leaders or wartime leaders. And I think the same goes for an environment in the corporate workplace where some managers are really good at thriving in environments, for example, that are hyper growth, right? Everything's going well, we're building, we're building, everything's growing. And then there's leaders who are really good at crisis management. And rarely do we see leaders who are really good at both. I think you can kind of toggle back and forth. So just understanding what kind of leader you are at, from one lens. The other lens is, are you an inspiring leader? Are you a motivating leader? Are you a facilitating type of leader? Are you a dictator? Obviously, I'm hoping nobody's the latter. But the truth is being honest with yourself about who you are before you even show up in the room. Right? I think... Again, we spend too much time on tactics and strategies, and I'll go into some, but before we even get there, understand how do you classify yourself and then start to embody that type of leadership. So for me, for example, I spent a lot of my time trying to teach my team. I'm a big proponent that if you teach people how to fish, they're going to be a lot more successful and you're going to be able to multiply the impact that you have as a collective unit. So for me, it's about making sure that my team's always equipped with the right tools. They understand how to do things. So spend as much time as you can training, onboarding, right? I fundamentally believe in positive reinforcement. And a lot of people talk about radical transparency or radical criticism, but the truth is I'd rather give people the power to really shine and where they're good at and ask them where else they want to grow, right? So I'd say 80% of their time, really, it's your responsibility to make sure that they're focused on what they're good at. And the other 20% of their time is maybe the things that they're uncomfortable at, or they're still growing and expanding. And so that's kind of individual basis. And then at a team level, it's really important to understand what's going on in the company. Where are you at as a team? What are your goals? Where What's going on in kind of the global state of affairs, right? That's why I started saying, that a lot of leaders had to make a hard pivot last year and start communicating with their teams really differently when the pandemic hit because there were macroeconomic 
impacts on every single organization, which trickled down to every single team. And that's a lot to process for potentially a first-time leader. But anticipating that these things can happen, right? Really being aware that your responsibility as a leader is to be able to be as effective as you can for every individual, everyone on your team, and be able to show up in a powerful way together. The only way to get there is by essentially practicing and by rehearsing in advance of even being in the room. And that's how people get tapped on for leadership opportunities is because they start behaving in that way before they ever really get promoted into an actual leadership position. So you have to embody the traits of a leader before you can become one. Exactly. I always say that we have to start rehearsing for our future. And a lot of that comes outside the room. Some of the best leaders that you and I probably have seen in different elements of our life really are doing the work behind the scenes, right? It's no different than any athlete practicing behind closed doors or in the off season. Nobody's showing that on SportsCenter or any TSN channel in Canada, right? People are really not focused or interested in that, but that's where the hard work comes in. That's how when people show up on stage, in movies, in any sporting event, right? Or even at work. It's because they're doing external work, the personal development work that's really imperative for their success. Then they can step into the room or actually start showing up in the way that they've always wanted to. And a lot of people think you can just muscle through it. And again, I see a lot of immigrants and first gen really try to believe that simply the work will show up and just by muscling through the conversation that they're going to figure it out. Often that lends to a bad emotional state, which leads to conversations or things that we say that we don't really mean or want to say. And that's the path that I don't want people to go down. My goal is to get people to understand the value of practice and then start showing up powerfully. And in speaking of practice, when you go higher and higher up the corporate ladder, you tend to have to do more presentations, more communication, more public speaking. And a lot of these people haven't done a lot of speaking throughout their like, educational career or as individual contributors. How would you go about being a stronger speaker? So speaking is a confidence game, really. I think the, the way people speak, the way people communicate is something that you can easily learn, right? So how you actually show up, how you pause, how you take a breath, how you speed up your conversation, right? Like all of those things you can learn and you can practice that. But to really be an effective communicator outside of just being able to share whatever knowledge that you have, it boils down to your mindset and your confidence. And it's as simple as that because oftentimes the reason that public speaking is the number one fear in the world above everything is because it just indicates that a lot of people haven't done the mental work, right? They haven't practiced outside the room. They haven't figured out what they value, what they care about, how they think, why they think that way. And that's kind of the uncomfortable conversation that a lot of education systems, a lot of immigrant parents don't teach us. And again, it took me a really long time to process that because I wasn't a great communicator. I was shy, like I said. And once I got the mindset part right, and started to channel the confidence, then I started to learn the tactics and the tools and the ability to eloquently string words together in a way that's powerful storytelling. Because that takes time, but that's not even the hard part. So I got a bit of a controversial question in terms of like speaking. As Let's immigrants, 
Yeah. All right. Sounds good. As immigrants, some of these people have thick accents. Do you think having a thick accent will actually hurt their chances of promotion because it's harder to understand and they should focus on trying to eliminate the accent as much as possible? Or you think that's really just a myth and they just, just be more focused on like their body language? Another good question that I get from a lot of people, and I've heard both sides of the coin, and I'm not here to actually tell people if it's a myth, it's a personal decision for yourself. So the reason I say that is I've actually worked with a couple of clients who come from Latin descent, and for them, they wanted to basically mask their accent, right? They wanted to pronounce words in the classic kind of English manner. So they hired a speech coach and they ultimately got that type of help. But the truth is I've seen plenty of successful immigrants with thick accents from different parts of the world. Again, it doesn't matter if you're of some Asian descent, you're Indian, you're Russian. What I've seen those people do is really lean into their accent as their superpower. Like what that means is they're not thinking about the fact that they have an accent. They know that they have an accent, but those are fundamentally two different things because a lot of people, again, don't do the mental work that's so critical to be successful. And what they basically are telling themselves is the story that my accent is limiting my ability to be successful. And what I always tell people is, is that true? Right? Like, what evidence do you have in your life to support that? Because the truth is, we get to reconstruct what we believe, how we think, how we operate, how we show up. And the people that I've seen that basically lean into their accent, they're the ones saying, actually, my accent is a hook. People are always curious where I'm from. Right. So they take the positive lens to it. And, we, and it just boils down to making that decision. There's nothing deeper rooted into it. Yes, some people might have been picked at or somebody might have kind of made a comment about you. So what? Are you really going to let three, five, ten people ruin your life over an accent? No, because most people are curious. Most people are going to want to know, where are you from? Where? Oh, interesting. It's It's kind of a hook and it leads to a deeper conversation. So once we get over that mental barrier, then we can start to just focus again on the tactical side of conversation and the accent almost becomes irrelevant. But I know it's really difficult for a lot of people because at the end of the day, it requires a deeper conversation. I kind of gave you, let's call it the cliff notes, the spark notes of it, which really is around, okay, there's an important mindset shift. And there's a whole process to that that I love talking about more in depth. But that's really where to start. And that's how you overcome a lot of these hurdles that people create for themselves. It goes back to what you said. It's all these limiting beliefs. It's all, it's all these mental games that you're playing with yourself. In a way, you are your worst enemy. So it's more about trying to get focus more on the glass half full than the glass half empty. Yeah, it definitely is. And again, that's kind of the <laughs> the sticker of it all, right? That's kind of the candy wrapper of what mindset work is. but. I think just the whole glass full type of concept reminds you what's important, but it, there's still so much underlying work that goes into it. Great. And I want to ask you this last question to close off our discussion. What is one piece of advice you can give like immigrants or first generation professionals in terms of how to make this the best year for them, even though we're still in the middle of a pandemic? 
Yeah, I actually just wrote a whole article around this, which is this whole conversation about networking being really, really important because most people are still sitting at home and most people are glued to their computers. Again, I know there's plenty of professionals who are in the healthcare space or working in food industries, right? Hotel industries. But I think the common individual that you and I are serving really are just sitting at home. So use this as a massive opportunity to go out and network because your network becomes your net worth. And ultimately, I kind of broke this down into a bunch of different things in terms of how to go about successfully networking, but it's also the importance of it. Because even if you're in a great job right now, you might want to switch roles in a year, two years, five years. But now's a great time to connect with people from all over the world because you can do it remotely, right? You and I connected online because we basically had the opportunity to connect, learn from one another, and we use that as an opportunity to have a conversation. So set a goal for yourself, and I tell this to pretty much everyone I work with, is try to connect with three to five new people every single week. And it doesn't always mean conversation over a call, but really start to have some sort of dialogue, not just connecting with them on LinkedIn, but send them a message. Send them a response to a post that they made and say, hey, I love this post because of X, Y, and Z. I think you might actually enjoy this podcast or article. Engage them. Maybe it'll lead to a conversation. Maybe that conversation will lead to another introduction. Maybe that introduction will lead to a future job. Right? It's these small kind of energetic deposits that we're making out in the world that will eventually lead to incredible opportunities. So use this time wisely and go out and network with as many people as possible. Fantastic, Edward. Really appreciate the discussion on this topic. You and me, we both come from uh, immigrant families. So again, thank you for sharing your insight on the subject. Where can people find you online? And what is a project or endeavor that you're currently working on that you want people to know about? Yeah, thank you for that. So where do I hide out on the internet? So basically my coaching practice as well as my podcast are called Career Meets World. So you can easily go to careermeetsworld.com, find every resource that I provide on there. Whether you tune into the podcast or you want to ask a question on LinkedIn, feel free to shoot me a note. Thanks, Edward. Again, really appreciate the time and best of luck with your venture. Thank you so much. Thank you again to Edward for coming on my podcast and sharing his insights as it will definitely help professionals, especially recent immigrants or first-generation professionals, excel in their careers. The main piece of advice that Edward shared in order to excel your career is a mix of building relationships and having good communication. And when you start building relationships, whether it's on LinkedIn or in person, you got to understand that relationships takes time and you shouldn't focus on being transactional. Great relationships can take months, even years to build. Edward's advice is when you reach out to people, focus on making a friend and obtaining knowledge, not trying to get something out of them right away. It's all about planting the seeds in the present, so there is a possibility that you will reap the rewards in the future. And when it comes to building relationships with people at your current company, it's all about reaching out to people at your company, building connections, and building that reputation over time. Hard work doesn't matter if nobody at your company knows who you are. So foster those relationships, communicate effectively with people in the company, and you'll start seeing career progression. If you're networking to land your dream job, networking isn't a massive undertaking. You can start off by reaching out to a few people a week, 
and slowly build out your network of relationships. As many parts of North America are in some type of lockdown right now, a lot of people are at home. So this is a massive opportunity for you to reach out to people and connect with them. To conclude, hard work is only one part of the equation in the game of business. The other part is fostering and building relationships with people that can open doors for you. And that is the formula for success in the long term of your career. Again, this is Chan with The Plan, the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan. If you found this episode useful, I would really appreciate it if you share it with your friends and family to help support the show. I publish new episodes every Tuesday on all popular podcast platforms. And you can also connect with me on LinkedIn, where I post daily content on topics such as job search, career advice, and personal branding. That's it for me, and I'll see you next time.